In 2003, a young woman from South Dakota, who was known to be shy and reserved, would suddenly leave the state and her family behind for a man she met online. Her move would take her to Kansas City, Missouri, where she would keep most of her life a secret from her family. Then, in October of 2005, the young woman would be found murdered in a vacant lot. This is Midwest Mystery Files, Episode 9, The Murder of Lakota Redenville. Hello everyone, and welcome to Midwest Mystery Files. I'm your host, Jeremiah, with just a few quick things before we start. Midwest Mystery Files is a bi-weekly, true crime podcast focused on unsolved, missing, and murdered cases within the Midwestern region of the United States. I can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. I just want to note real quick that today's episode will be a bit on the short side, probably more of a mini-sode. The episode I initially had planned for this week ended up being a bit more robust than I anticipated, so when it came time to write, I wasn't quite ready. So, instead, I pulled a case that I would normally use for an episode where I would present two cases with minimal information. So, there's not too much information on today's case, but as far as I'm concerned, any presentation of an unsolved murder is better than no presentation at all. So, without further delay, on to the episode. Lakota Ray Renville was born on July 6th, 1982. The daughter of Julie Keeble Watts and stepdaughter of Norman K. Watts, she grew up as a member of the Sisseton Wapiton tribe on the Lake Traverse Reservation in northeastern South Dakota. There's not much information available on Lakota's life, but almost every source I found quotes her sister Waynette as describing her as being painfully shy, so much so that she was reluctant to walk across the stage at her high school graduation. Lakota was also known to walk the straight and narrow as a teen never smoking, drinking, or taking drugs. This would make it all the more surprising to her family when sometime in 2003, Lakota met a man on the internet and then proceeded to move to Kansas City, Missouri to be with him. The family knew virtually nothing about the man other than the fact that Lakota called the man her boyfriend. Lakota would go on to tell Waynette that the man had two jobs and that she did not have to work. After moving, Lakota would keep most of her life a secret, returning home occasionally only for holidays. Lakota would reside in Kansas City for two years. Then, in 2005, her family would receive horrific news. On October 16th, at approximately 10 a.m., a pedestrian would be passing a vacant gravel lot on the 9200 block of Pitcher Avenue in Independence, Missouri, when a roll of carpet would catch their eye. The lot was a known hotspot for illegal dumping, and coming across such things was not exactly uncommon. But, upon a closer look, the pedestrian would come across a gruesome discovery. The carpet was actually a carpet pad, wrapped in a blanket, and wrapped in the middle of it all, with only her head exposed, was the deceased body of Lakota Renville. The pedestrian called the police, and it wasn't long before the vacant lot was teeming with officers and investigators. Investigators have been tight-lipped, about what all was found at the scene, as well as Lakota's cause of death. What is known is that Lakota had been beaten and stabbed several times. However, the specifics, such as a stab number, depth, or if they think she was beaten to death and stabbed afterwards, or vice versa, has never been revealed. 
as far as physical evidence is concerned. In a 2009 article from the Jackson County Examiner, authorities would state that some evidence was found with the body, stating, quote, it's basically DNA, although what kind of DNA has never been made clear. It was also revealed that the blanket that Lakota was wrapped in was a southwestern-style blanket with the skull of a bull imprinted on it. Investigators wasted little time starting their search for Lakota's killer. It's been heavily believed that Lakota was working as a sex worker in the Kansas City area. Investigators tracked down the last man she was seen with. He told investigators that he dropped Lakota off around 3 a.m. in the area of Independence and Myrtle Avenues in Kansas City. The man was cleared of any involvement in the murder, but it's believed that Lakota's killer most likely picked her up in that same area. Police also tracked Lakota's residence at the time as to being in the same area where she was dropped off, where she was also living with an unnamed male, presumably the same one that she met online, but this has never been publicly confirmed. Police would then focus on Lakota's cell phone records. While checking the records, it was discovered that the killer had taken the phone and made approximately 50 calls to random numbers, making it impossible to figure out the movements made by the killer. Undeterred, though, police followed up with the owners of every single cell phone number, but were unable to gain any leads from any of them. And around that same time, at least eight individuals were tested against the DNA found on Lakota. But none were a match. The blanket Lakota was wrapped in was also shown all over Kansas City. And while police were able to follow up a few leads, the style of blanket was also fairly popular, meaning more than a few people had one in their house. For those interested, I will be posting a picture of the blanket on social media, either sometime today or within the next couple days. So feel free to get online and take a look at that if you wish. Police believe Lakota was most likely picked up and murdered somewhere between Kansas City and being dumped in Independence. Independence Avenue and Myrtle Avenue sit around three miles apart, with Myrtle Avenue to the south of Independence Avenue, making it about a seven to ten minute drive to the location where Lakota was found. At least one witness would tell police they had seen a brown, early 90s model Ford Explorer with Missouri plates in the area of Pitcher Road in the early hours of October 16th. However, the vehicle was never tracked down and it's never been confirmed whether it was involved with Lakota's murder or not. Due to the brutality of the crime, it's believed the perpetrator may be an experienced criminal, with Lakota's murder not being their first nor probably last attack. Despite the intensive investigation by police, the case unfortunately began to become cold fast. Despite DNA tests, cell phone records, and even a potential vehicle sighting, nothing could lead police to a solid answer. Lakota's sister, Waynette, and her stepfather, Norman, would call the Independence Police Department weekly for almost five years. However, police would unfortunately never have any news to give. There has been little development or even media coverage of the case since the time that the investigators burned out the majority of their leads. Periodically over the years, though, they have made public calls for tips or information, but these attempts seem to have garnered few results. After her murder, Lakota's family had her body returned home, where she is now buried on the settlement, with an angel engraved on her headstone watching over her as she rests. In spring of 2006, Lakota's tribe had a blessing at the same location her body was found. Waynette would tell the Mazulin in 2018 that in January 2017, just over 11 years from when Lakota was murdered, the man who claimed himself to be Lakota's boyfriend contacted her 
and informed Waynette that he had nothing to do with Lakota's murder. In the few sources I could find on this case, that's the only time he's ever been noted as saying anything to anybody about the murder, Waynette would go on to explain that she believed if Lakota was working as a sex worker in Kansas City, she was most likely doing it against her will, and was being trafficked. Given her reserved, straight-laced nature, Waynette found it impossible to believe that Lakota would do that kind of work on her own accord. When asked how she carried on in the years after Lakota's murder, she simply stated, quote, We're just not the same anymore. It's agonizing to not know who did that, why they did that. She continued on to state that whoever had murdered her sister, quote, will deal with this, either in this lifetime or the next. When it comes to theories in Lakota's murder, there really aren't much. We know almost nothing about her once she left South Dakota, being so secretive that her family didn't even know much about what was going on in her life. Police have expressed their beliefs that she was most likely a sex worker in Kansas City, and she met her horrific fate shortly after being dropped off by a client in the early hours of October 16th, 2005. Looking at what we do know, I don't really think Lakota being trafficked is that far out of the question. Going forward, I want to state that this is purely speculation on my part. However, certain aspects of Lakota leaving for Kansas City do have heavy grooming vibes. From what we do know, Lakota was a quiet, shy, and reserved young woman. She meets a man online that she apparently falls for, someone she can get to know without having to deal with the nervousness of a blind date, and that she can essentially get to know without having to have that initial face-to-face -face interaction. He then promises to take care of her without her having to work a job. Once again, given her shy nature, this may seem like a golden opportunity to her. And at this point, she moves to Kansas City, and the man claiming to be her boyfriend ends up forcing her into being trafficked instead. It's certainly not an unknown scenario, and it has classic grooming written all over it. Sex trafficking is also a widespread concern within the indigenous community. Many women are forced into the life off of settlements, whether through coercion of promises for a better life, or by straight force and abduction. Between settlement authorities generally being stretched thin, different jurisdictions handling cases based on if the incident happened on or off a settlement, and just a lack of under-reporting and under-investigating cases, it makes young indigenous women and girls a prime target. In this case, Lakota would have been coerced away from her family and friends with what appeared to be minimal contact. I will admit, one of the big holes in this whole theory, though, is that she was apparently allowed to visit home for the holidays, something that is not generally customary under such circumstances. However, I suppose through control and fear, a less lenient pimp may allow a better-performing worker a little more freedom, granted that they kept quiet about what was going on. I also do find it strange that the man who Lakota left for would call Winnet years later if he was just a standard pimp. But who knows? Maybe he started to feel remorse over the years for leading her away, and ultimately leading her to her death. Like I said though, this is all speculation on my part. If she was indeed doing sex work, it could have been for a myriad of reasons. This just seems like a more likely scenario based off what is known about Lakota and known trends in grooming and trafficking. As for the dirtbag who murdered her, we're also left with more questions than any sort of answer. While every specific detail of Lakota's murder has been kept under wraps, we do know that it was brutal and violent, 
I'm no profiler by any means, but I do know that a murder involving both severe beatings as well as multiple stabbings generally presents a likelihood of extreme anger in the perpetrator. I'm not going to speculate too much, as I feel there's different circumstances that, that could have occurred here. It should be noted that indigenous women are two and a half times more likely to experience sexual violence than other women, and sex workers are about 60 to 100 times more likely to experience violence than other women. And yes, women who get paid for sex can still be victims of sexual violence. Given that Lakota was indigenous and the sheer brutality involved, there is the possibility of a hate crime. There is the possibility of an abusive client who went too far or got mad when denied a request. And there's definitely the idea of some psycho who just wanted to kill and he felt that a sex worker that he thought nobody would miss was the best option. Like I said, there's too many unknowns to narrow it down but I did want to list some possibilities based off the circumstances. One thing I do feel somewhat sure of is that our perpetrator was either a local or extremely familiar with the area. Pitcher Road, from what I can tell on Google Maps, is a short road that just connects one street to another. It's mainly wooded, with the open lot located on it where she was found. Whoever dumped Lakota there knew that spot was there and knew their likelihood of being seen was very, very low. Given the short time span, I can't help but think that Lakota was taken somewhere from within the three-mile stretch between Independence and Myrtle Avenues, possibly taken to a building or residence, was murdered, and then wrapped in the blanket before being loaded up and taken on a very short drive to the dump site. Not much is known about Lakota, but from what I can tell, she seemed to be a nice but reserved girl, a girl who for one reason or another left her home only to meet an awful fate years later. A fate that never should have came to her. No matter what her life choices or career path may have ended up being, or what circumstances brought her to that. We can only hope that any time a tip may come in, investigators treat it with the same determination they did when she was first found. If you have any information about the murder of Lakota Renville, please contact the Independence Police at 816-325-7330. If you have any concerns about yourself, someone you know, or a complete stranger being trafficked, you can contact the Human Trafficking Hotline at 888-373-7888, or you can text HELP or INFO to 233-733. If you're looking for any additional information, there isn't much out there. There's a handful of articles available online as well as a few blog posts. Overall, though, this is a very unknown and underreported case. We can fix that, though, by sharing this podcast or any sources you choose to check out for yourself. Lakota doesn't have to be forgotten. We can keep her memory and her case alive. You can also check out the Facebook page, Lakota Renville Unsolved Homicide. If you'd like to let me know what you think happened or have questions, comments, or case suggestions, you can find me on Instagram at Midwest Mystery Files, Twitter at Files Midwest, or you can search for Midwest Mystery Files on Facebook. You can also email me at MidwestMysteryFilesPod at gmail.com. Lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you like what you hear, feel free to leave a rating and review. This helps make the podcast more visible in searches and helps bring more attention to the cases I cover. Thank you to everyone who has done so already. Take care, everyone, and I will see you all in two weeks.